0: okay here we go
1: the real question is are we still at like level 100 in your ears
0: no you're not which is good because uh if you were i would just be dying right now um because i'm still dealing with sinus issues so i'm just taking all of the drugs that exist known to man um and uh and you know throw it all at the wall and see what happens maybe my sinuses will explode And then I won't have to worry about any of this anymore. Hello, sisters, and welcome. Grab a drink and a familiar cozy up by a bubbling cauldron and join us for this meeting of the Sisters of the Night Caucus. Say hello, sisters. Hello, I am Katie. And I'm Angela. And I am Jillian. And uh, so first, we're going to do some hexes. But um, just as a heads up, um we are going to be talking about some very sensitive subjects today um we're going to be talking about um victims of uh sexual violence and so if you uh feel like that might be triggering or re-traumatizing for you just know in advance and um you know you can stop just stop whenever you feel uncomfortable um in the meantime, let us hex all the things. Um, I feel we're doing crowdsourced hexes, so these actually come from our patrons. So if you were a patron, you could drop us a hex. Uh Katie, what what do we what do you want to start with? Well, one
1: of those hexes is UPMC. And I feel like it's our, our regular partners. listeners will know. Yeah. know why this was dropped in there um because this was submitted by one of our patrons slash occasional co-hosts related to upmc you know a quote-unquote nonprofit hospital mm-hmm. asking for arp money to do some mental health stuff which you know as a hospital that pays their ceo what at least in excess of how many millions of dollars a year? 8.7 might, you know, million dollars or something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, might be able to build um a, a mental health thing for you know a couple hundred yeah. thousand dollars on their own, but they're gonna take taxpayer dollars, do that, no big deal. But they're nonprofit, right.
0: Yeah, and if you so that's the UPMC tax yeah. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, you can get all the deets on that there. Um, I would like to also add and so number one. Uh, I will not hex, but shout out to Joanne Goodall, not Jane Goodall, Joanne Goodall, um, who runs the adolescent uh, gender clinic at UPMC because she is amazing. What is not amazing is that I, it, calling and making appointments and trying to get things together, like thank God for her help because... I have at this point two times driven somewhere for an appointment for my child and then discovered that I didn't have an appointment or the appointment couldn't happen for some reason. One of those times was in, I drove, I drove to Pittsburgh. I drove to Pittsburgh. The other time I drove to Evansburg, Um, and I just, ooh, you know, um and that's on that's on UPMC's systems um because they are dumb and they should do better uh because as as Katie pointed out they have so much money they're a multi billion dollar healthcare conglomerate okay i'm done <clears throat> Angela you want to grab one
2: yeah I'm, I'm still just sitting over here marinating in hatred for UPMC, you know yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are people like the indignities. I, I was like I was kind of going through all of my UPMC indignities over the the years right one time one time they sent me a bill, they they literally billed me as uninsured despite the fact that it, it would yeah, yes, it, it made zero sense and it it took me and I I suppose my thing and this goes with the um I I see that someone wants to hex annoying and confusing paperwork I feel like this is the experience of UPMC Mm -hmm. is I shouldn't have to take two to three hours out of my life to fix your mistakes Mm -hmm. and I feel like every every human being within the UPMC universe has a story of having to give up their time Mm-hmm. To to fix a UPMC mistake, so that that is just tremendously hex 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 hex. Apoxia.
1: Well, and while we're on healthcare, another related hex was doctors with multiple offices but they have like one service at one office
0: Oh my god! and not the other.
1: And they don't tell you all the time, like when you can and can't do that. And then you have to drive an additional like 45 minutes to go do something. Now yeah, that I'm oh going to, I'm going to admit like I live 45 minutes from anyone in my provider <laughs> practice. Um, at Here. this point I have to drive to the, other side of my county to get to the my good wonderful doctor um but yeah especially when you're i don't know say pregnant and and you need an ultrasound and one doctor's office has it and the other doesn't even though your doctor's at both goddamn practices it seems like it's a little fucking problematic
2: you know what else is problematic Mm -hmm. it's really problematic that anyone anyone would be taking the pot shots that they are taking at
0: Senator John Fetterman right now. yes, yes oh my God he like,
2: yes. prog- problematic and like as 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 someone who forces themselves to to listen to the ridiculousness of the right so that I know how to organize against them, these people are ghouls ghouls, horrifying uh, people. From, the, from this the, from the narrative that um that Fetterman, do, do you know that there is like a literal like qAnon like uh um uh, following of people who believe that John Fetterman is dead mhm mm-hmm. um yeah this narrative around Giselle is disgusting and misogynistic yeah. and and bizarre um i mean it is the grossest Thing. and like so just for anyone who does has the, the privilege and honor of not knowing these things so the yes. narrative basically goes like that um that that Giselle is a terrible human because um it, it doesn't care at all about her husband only about sheer unadulterated power and mm. that 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 is that pushing him to the limit has led to his you know that sounds so 1994 clintons right same narrative they just rehash the same thing and then they're tying it to joe biden too and it is it is so regressive and weird it's so weird to me and if you look What's super fascinating to me is if you look on Twitter, it is like women pushing this shit too. Like the internalized misogyny is so strong. But mm. Angela, that's because she's not a real
1: citizen.
2: <laughs> I, I like that they turned that she took her children to see Niagara Falls
1: to get away from the media that had surrounded the house. To get away
2: from the media. to yeah. Get away from the media and have to have the space. I know as. When 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 my kids were that age, the car is a beautiful place to have long, quiet conversation with your children. It's like yeah. safe. safe um, but to turn that into like another conspiracy theory,
0: she's fleeing the country. Yeah, to yes, Canada. I mean, it, is, it is.
2: It is so gross.
1: Just it is so yeah. um, John Fetterman's actually dead, and they're "quote unquote" hiding his body at Walter Reed because they can't find a body double big enough
0: to pretend to be John Fetterman in the Senate. I like number one, and I realize they're not all like six five or whatever, but like people that look like John Fetterman are a little bit of dime a dozen in Pennsylvania. You know what I'm saying? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, that's part of his appeal, his everymanness. I real, and again, I realize they're not all that tall, but like, eh. um. But yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and like, frankly, you know, I think we all deal with, um, uh, depression and anxiety and other things, um, in various combinations, and um, yeah, go get treatment, um, you know. So- like sometimes yeah sometimes it's purely like a brain chemistry thing sometimes it's brain chemistry and situation and sometimes it's situation and like uh, but like you don't know what mixture it is for a given person because we don't exist inside john fetterman's brain leave him the fuck alone let him let him have a little time Um, And to everybody that's like, Pennsylvania doesn't have representation. We have two senators, you idiots.
3: Jesus. Also,
0: nobody's mad at Bob Casey for having... Prostate cancer. Prostate cancer surgery. Okay, thank you. I was just like, yeah. I got really angry and then I couldn't remember. And I was like, I'm not gonna be able to carry out this impassioned thing if I don't if I say the wrong thing. Um, but yeah, nobody's mad at Bob Casey yeah. for prostate cancer. It's just you know, whatever. Um, you're all awful. No, not all of you, not all of you. Uh but next on our list is uh and i will be delicate i'll be delicate i
1: won't be after you start
0: okay i will be i will start delicate because i don't know what i'm allowed to do and so i'm just going to be delicate if you've been on twitter recently or if you pay attention to the pennsylvania legislature you will know that uh i'm just gonna go and say it that representative mike zabel um has uh harassed um certainly one and definitely more than one people someone who
1: was on this podcast last. somebody who was on
0: this podcast um and uh and the republicans are now out there being like oh democrats are hypocrites listen he was asked to resign i can't count at this point the number of Fellow legislators and um uh other important folks who have said, hey, resign. Um and number two, number two, here's the important thing. If you're hate listening to this and you're a Republican, Nick Micarelli, was it Micarelli? It, it was Micarelli. Micarelli, yes. Nick Micarelli who literally stalked one of his fellow legislators to the point that she had to have security in the legislature to do her job. And y'all let him serve out his term. So please do not ever speak to us on this subject. Not ever. That's, I'm just fuck everything. Jillian, I'm stewing. I, I think I'm
2: gonna have to redo the whole
0: McCarelli thing. I did.
2: I'm. I'm, all, I'm sorry.
0: Anyway, Katie, talk.
1: Here's here's the thing of this. Every couple of years, we have a legislator who is accused of something in the spectrum of bad shit usually towards a woman usually sexually related right every couple of years we go through this for years and years i will admit it is getting slightly better for fuck's sake the house now has a path for people like me who work for ngos to actually report things and be protected that's amazing thank you for passing that I can't believe the Republicans who didn't vote for it, actually, but I can. What I will say is I I had this conversation with a colleague the other week is um, we, we were discussing and we both agreed that there is a level of enjoyment that we have knowing that there are any number of legislators right now who have drafted statements related to this because they know their own behavior has been as bad and never, ever, ever do I ever want to hire anybody else to work for me, especially a young woman who I have to give an actual list of people to where she should not lobby alone or grab drinks after hours to continue the conversation or any of that. I never ever should have had to do that in the first place and I should never have to fucking do it again and the fact that there are legislators out there who have kept their mouths shut for many years about a whole lot of things but now now for political gain, and this is majority Republicans but not all Republicans some Democrats are now opening their fucking mouths on this situation when they've been silent on prior situations and yes mostly Republicans not all though and now now they are speaking out for political game some not all like some people are speaking out validly and they have spoken out prior to this like kudos to them but this is getting fucking ridiculous okay there we go i think that was all the yelling i have i feel like i need to say fake dicks just to have it out there and to kind of cleanse the palate
0: Mm-hmm. yeah um, I hate it. Um, and we'll finish with crowdsource taxes with um the house GOP treatment of our new speaker. It is tradition that when you elect a new speaker and you are in the majority, the minority party votes with the majority, right, you like have a sort of vote of confidence for this, this person. Uh, That did not happen this time. Even though Democrats have a majority. Even though there was no chance that a Republican speaker was gonna win. They nominated Carl Metzger. And they voted for Carl Metzger, all 99 of them, except for maybe one guy who wasn't there or something like that. Yeah,
1: there was one person who was absent, but it's not just the vote. It's not just the respect. Oh no, that's just the the start. (laughs) Oh, oh it is. And let's remind our listeners, we have the first female, second black speaker of the house, which, oh my God, it was fucking amazing because it felt like kind of a new day when I walked into the building last week. But anyway, so let's just dial this up a notch. And I was speaking with a very older white, albeit Democratic, not always the most woke kind of legislator towards the end of this week. And he was furious and recognizing how absolutely blatant the attempts of interruption of her, all of those things. There is a decorum on the floor that when there has been a white male speaker, it has been, it has been present, but we have a black woman speaker and you decide not to have have any fucking decorum anymore, which, oh, by the way, goes against your fucking rules. All right. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Introduce our guest.
1: Oh, hey folks, do you remember last year when we were talking about Roe being overturned? We have our fabulous, most wonderful, favorite badass lawyer with us who practices this kind of law. We have Justine back with us today. And this is where we're gonna probably get a even even though we just got a little content warning E, we're gonna get a little bit more content warning E here in this next section because we are gonna be talking about some of what has been going on in the House and the statute of limitations for the folks who don't know. Part of the reason we just had a speaker election is because uh, Representative Rossi was speaker and he's a one issue guy and he just wanted to get a victim's statute of limitations through. And it got through and he stepped down and we got Joanna. Um, Go back, listen to his floor speech, it was pretty fire. But it also like helped us block constitutional amendments. Um, And I say help block, like this could have been a constitutional amendment. Thankfully, it wasn't at this time because it was grouped together with a whole bunch of really bad constitutional amendments. But we can kind of like get into that stuff later. But this is some of the background as to why the house has been a little bit weird is Rozzy really wanted to pass statute of limitations. So hello, Justine.
3: Hi, thanks again for having me.
1: Absolutely. So, we never want to assume anybody's knowledge base. So, like, I didn't go to law school. You did. What is a statute of limitation, and what does this one specifically do?
3: So, uh, the first, you know, question: What is a statute of limitation? Is pretty simple. Uh, our law in both the civil law arena where the remedy sought is financial penalty and the criminal law arena, where the remedy sought has to do with one's um, freedom, (laughs) typically, uh, have attached to our legal system is this idea that um, certain offenses or certain things that we legislate or um, create laws about should only be actionable within a certain amount of time as, when the event occurs, right? So the idea being if an action happens that's criminal, there's a certain period of time that the state has to bring action in response to that criminal activity. And in the civil world, in the arena of suing people for harm done to us in getting uh, the penalty of financial compensation, we have the same idea. And so in the context of victims' rights, where that often appears is in the context of civil um, laws, pertaining to whether and when you can sue someone or an institution for actions that have caused harm in the context of sexual abuse or sexual assault. And in our history as a country, of course, having not really valued those things as particularly um, relevant to the public sphere in terms of creating laws that give redress, we have often minimized the amount of time a victim has to proceed both in criminal law and in civil law. And in recent years, over the last 20, 25 years, we've seen a lot of changes in creating longer time frames that give victims a longer period of time to pursue actions in civil law for financial penalty and even actions in criminal law. So understanding that victims don't always want to disclose right away, victims don't always um, have the tools to um, get the support they need to move forward if they are interested. Sometimes victims don't want to proceed until much later. And so we've seen some change nationally in extending the statute of limitations, meaning just the legal time that within which one has to take action. And unfortunately, you know, we still have a lot of work to do here in Pennsylvania. Uh, While we have made changes to the statute of limitation in both civil and criminal settings related to child sexual abuse um, and sexual assault over the years, one thing that hasn't happened yet here is a trend throughout the United States that we're seeing, which is to provide people who were previously what we call timed out of their claim, giving them a short window to go to court if they choose to proceed. So we've sort of evolved in our thinking about what should be the case for statute of limitations and that over time, that length of time has been extended. And here in Pennsylvania, we've extended it a few times, but only prospectively, meaning cases that we pass a law and we say any case that comes up after this date, you know, they now have a longer, this victim or this group of survivors has a longer period of time than the previous group of survivors would have to take their action in, in civil court. And where we are now is we we have some changes that have allowed current victims, victims that um, have been subjected to sexual assault or child sexual abuse recently. They have a longer period of time than people who maybe were victimized way back when they were kids, and maybe they're you know over fifty-five right now. And so what we're trying to do here in Pennsylvania, the very simple version is we're trying to create a revival statute that would, or or constitutional amendment, one or the other, that will give a window for those people who were previously timed out a short period of time for them to come into the court and seek that type of justice. And we have, you know, been trying that now for quite a long time. And there's been a lot of effort to make it happen. And it seems to have widespread support. But somehow, every single time we get down to the wire, something happens. it's so it weird. So uh, that was a long explanation, but that's what a statute of limitations is. It's basically the rule that says, when can you go to court and how long do you have after the, after the harm has been, you know, perpetrated to seek justice. And we're looking to make some changes here in Pennsylvania so that people who were previously timed out will have a short window open to them to pursue. claim. Okay.
1: To follow up on something you just said there, what, what are some of, I mean, you said this people have been trying this for quite a while. What are some of the things that have been tried before um, to get this done?
3: Sure. Um, Well, they vary across the country, right, depending on each state's law. Um, But here in Pennsylvania, we have been arguing as, you know, those who care about survivors have been arguing that we should pass longer statute of limitations so that has been successful in the past. And in, on, the, on the civil side, we passed reform in, in 2002 and in two, 2019, but that doesn't take care of the people who were victimized prior, right? The idea is we left out a lot of people because those laws did not look back to those that were victimized previously. So that's one thing to kind of frame it that way, to think about like who got left out, right? and what we're doing right now is we're trying to address a very potentially very large group of people who were left out of the previous reforms and so what's been tried so every state's a little different some states are addressing this with legislation directly with just bills in the the legislature and we have we have one of those now pending here in Pennsylvania but a lot of the states are also looking at constitutional solutions to this particular issue of a revival statute, that look back window. And the reason they're doing that is because the concern is that if um, it's passed as a straight up legislative effort and, you know, a typical bill signed into law by the governor, there are those that believe that that could be challenged and um, successfully defeated in the Supreme Court um, of Pennsylvania. And so um, where we are right now is we're looking and watching very closely because both strategies are now back on the table, a a straight up bill and a constitutional amendment strategy.
2: Justine, other other than what you said um, about the bill having the potential to be overturned uh, by the courts, um, what are the other pros and cons of each one of those strategies, you know, CA versus bill?
3: Well, I, I would say right now, like from my standpoint where I sit, I feel like, you know, victims in Pennsylvania and survivors in Pennsylvania who have been working hard and, and wanting this for a long time, I think we should be pursuing all the strategies at the same time. Um, that's my view, my personal view. That said, as a lawyer, obviously you have to look at, you know, what what are the likely outcomes of each? And, um, you know, one thing I, I think my type of lawyering has taught me over the years is that When we think we know what a court is going to do, especially in this day and age, and we start making predictions about that, like we can almost be certain we're going to be wrong, right? So, uh, you know, the constitutional amendment strategy, the vulnerability that has been identified, and this isn't just me identifying it, obviously, there's a lot of constitutional legal scholars that have looked at these issues across the states, is that the idea that a statute of limitations is some kind of legal certainty that a defendant is entitled to, um, Claim, and that taking that away retroactively, meaning looking into the past, is 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 somehow a denial of some kind of right that that defendant has. Well, just to be clear, um, you know, I've identified one of the vulnerabilities of that constitutional amendment strategy, but I will also quickly respond and say that you know it's pretty clear that at least when we look at the question of statute limitations from a federal standpoint, you know, that argument has has been. Defeated, right? And also in Pennsylvania, we don't have any um, case law that suggests that there's a due process right on the part of the defendant to the statute limitation. So the way that that argument would have to be made in our Supreme Court would have to be based on statutory construction or on you know sort of the common, the common way that laws are read and understood and what what that sort of history has been. So you know looking at that you know question of how vulnerable is the constitutional amendment strategy. I always like to zoom way out. You know, what are we really talking about here? We're talking about the Supreme Court potentially having to sit in judgment on whether a bill that was signed into law that gives survivors the right to sue bad actors, whether the perpetrators themselves or those institutions that have enabled or covered up for them willfully or or negligently whether somehow or another they've been denied something by being held accountable. And I think it's a tough hill to climb, even from a legal standpoint, right? And, and granted, you know there would be a lot of legal arguments and a lot of nuance and a lot of precedent looked at, but I think when you're trying to say that the constitutional amendment strategy, or pardon me, that the bill strategy shouldn't be pursued because it might be held unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, I would rather say, look, pass the bill. Let the Supreme Court sit in judgment of that. And, you know, I think some really strong arguments can be made. Like, nobody's really entitled to A, abuse kids, or B, make it possible. And so, if we're going to do all kinds of legal backflips to try to get an argument in place that says that that bill shouldn't be allowed to be passed, I think that that's, you know, let's have that conversation. Let's have that conversation in Pennsylvania. But do I want to have only that conversation? No, because I feel like where we are right now, enough has happened. There's been enough waiting. There's enough water under the bridge here on this fight. It's also bipartisan in its support, right? When it really comes down to it, it's very hard for people to say they don't believe this should happen. So why not pursue both strategies? Because the constitutional amendment strategy, you know, when you look at a pro, obviously if some if something's in the constitution very explicitly, then it's very difficult, if not impossible, to overturn it unless it conflicts with the US Constitution, which in this case it would not, and the law is clear. So you know, one is a clear path, the other one is a very, you know, solid, quick solution, and the, um, my view is that we should pursue both. So uh, pros and cons, one other thing is timing, right? A bill can become law quickly if it's passed by both parties and signed by the governor. The constitutional amendment process is longer, and it requires, you know, and as a matter of fact, we failed here in Pennsylvania once already in 2021 because we didn't follow the process properly. So it has to be passed in two consecutive years by both houses in the same form, and then it has to um, be put into a public notice by the Secretary of State, and then it has to um, be placed on the ballot for the voters to vote. So one who has a more populist feel is, I guess, another pro. You know, the constitutional amendment strategy gives the right to every Pennsylvanian to decide how they feel about this issue. But that said, you know, I really feel that with the widespread popularity of this, I'm not really sure like we should just hold out for that because it's not like it's a hotly contested issue. It's like, yeah, survivors deserve this avenue for justice if that's what they want. Um, so the legislation could become law very quickly. If passed by both houses and signed by the governor. The constitutional amendment would take a little longer. Both of them are long overdue. If that answers your question.
2: It does. It absolutely does. Thank you. There's, um. Yeah.
3: A- oh, sorry, go ahead, Katie. Yeah, and I, it, and I would also add. I know a lot of you are following this as well. So if you have other questions about arguments you've heard, or you want to share some some things that you're hearing from your people, I'd be curious. Well,
1: and that's that's sort of a follow up to that response. Is, so who I noticed um, as I always look at vote counts, um, and some I know some of our our I think it was our some of our Patreon listeners also noticed as we were discussing this in Patreon our group fewer and fewer folks are voting for it over the years so who are the opponents how do they have the sway over these legislators when it's like this is a no-brainer and i don't know if you can speak to the opponents of it at all
3: I'll, I'll speak generally um, on that topic because I do think it's a good question. And so a couple things. One is, you know, obviously these are claims that ultimately end up involving insurance um, and in institutional cases. So who are we talking about when we talk about lawsuits related to um, child sexual assault and abuse? We're talking about the perpetrator, obviously, you know, is could be vulnerable to a civil suit. Um, very often those perpetrators that end up, being involved in civil litigation are also involved in connection with suits against institutions. Institutions like, you know, university, we're not universities necessarily always. We have a very popular history here in Pennsylvania of a university having culpability, but often what we have are schools and, uh, you know, camps and churches and church groups, you know, everyone's familiar with the Catholic Church history on all this, but it's not just the Catholic Church. It's many church environments, because wherever you have kids, and you have adults with access to those children, you're going to have the potential for abuse. And institutions, historically, whether they be, you know, Boy Scout groups, or um, athletic groups, or schools where kids live or even schools where they don't live but they you know a, a adults have un, unfettered access they're all going to have the potential to attract perpetrators and then if you look back historically how has that been handled well you know we're the first generation here right now today that is talking openly about child sexual abuse and, and so when you look back into history these institutions most of them where you know, a repeated perpetrator or perpetrators was present, were not taking the appropriate steps. Some of them were actively covering up. Many of them knew that this was occurring and didn't do or take the appropriate steps to stop it. And so those institutions, all of whom have a desire to protect both their reputation and their pocketbooks, are very interested in seeing, you know, in, in ensuring that this kind of look back window doesn't open because their institution is at risk of reputational harm and they are at risk of financial harm. Insurance companies that may or may not depending on the nature of the harm and what was insured against also don't love this kind of thing because what they don't wanna do is pay out the claim. And so we have a lot of parties with a lot of power that do not wanna see this kind of look back window open. Um, however, when you break it down to individuals, you know, you sit down with individuals, individuals understand that this is necessary because we want to open the curtains on this fully. So, parents in Pennsylvania who want to know whether the institutions that they're associating their children with have a history of this, they deserve to know, right? And we are only at the tip of the iceberg of the disclosure. Schools, athletic facilities, anywhere where kids are congregating in large numbers with adults, looking back into history, most of those places have, you know, a lot of soul searching and work to do to make sure that they're um, adhering to the new norms. And civil litigation is part of how we do that. It's part of how we tell the story of what we want our society to look like. And we hold people accountable in one of the only ways left that people care about, which is money, right? Right. <laughs> hold them accountable in their pocketbooks for failing to do the right thing and that opens the doors to change and so i i think i think it's it's a question in my mind whether we're going to listen to the big moneyed interests that might not want this or we're going to let you know the individual legislators are going to search their souls about you know the right thing here and nine times out of ten they are you know i mean the numbers are still favorable I think the um, constitutional amendment passed 161 to 40. The um, legislation passed last time, most recently this year, 134 to 67. So, you know, when you sit somebody down and you ask them to vote on it, it's pretty clear yeah. you know, they know the
0: right way to go.
1: Yeah, I um, started looking at some of the folks who, and this is this is a editorial comment, mm-hmm. sure. um, is it's very fascinating to me that the people who are not voting for this are oddly also aligned with people who think that, uh, one party, uh, goes to pizza shops and sex traffics children. Um, you know what I mean? So isn't it really fascinating? Uh, also kind of what we were talking about during hexes is it seems like the people who scream the loudest against doing certain things might need to, uh, Check out their own closets, but anyway, Julian, feel free to go into the next.
3: Okay.
0: Um. Well, mm, I got lost for a minute. So, well, here's you know, a, actually, uh, yeah,
3: Julian, and this might be already on your agenda, but one thing I didn't talk about, which I think would be important for people to understand, is how this is being used as a political football. With you know, oh yeah, Katie said. Um, In terms of the pros and cons of the constitutional amendment strategy versus the bill, what has happened in the last few months here in Pennsylvania is that a very popular effort to give survivors in Pennsylvania an opportunity to seek this type of justice has been mired down in a very callous and i think malicious and you know two-faced effort to muddy the waters of this very clear-cut very popular re- remedy with political garbage. And so what happened in the Senate before just last year was that they tried to attach to or they did attach to this constitutional amendment for survivors a bunch of other garbage strategies designed to undermine democracy that are very politically volatile, very controversial, very unlikely to pass. And so you have senators saying, oh, well, we handled this issue by passing the constitutional amendment you know, on survivors. And so we're not going to take it up again. But the truth of the matter is what they passed is not something that most people who are looking for this issue to be resolved can get behind. It certainly isn't something that's going to pass easily. You know, voter ID amendments and other uh, anti-democratic amendments have been attached to this issue. So it's a very, very two-faced, very malicious, very callous um, attempt to muddy the waters here, which I think is it does a huge disservice to victims. So where we are now is the House has passed Another standalone constitutional amendment, the uh, as well as the bill. That is, you know, straight up on this issue, both of them, and they are asking the Senate to take action. And you know, we have some comments coming out of the Senate suggesting, well, well we've already dealt with this issue, but they didn't deal with the issue in a meaningful way because they added all of this other garbage that is obviously a lightning rod for debate and frustration um, between the two parties. So I think in many ways, it's it's very insincere for. Um, those who are saying in the Senate that they've dealt with it, um, to to think that, you know, I mean, we're all watching, we all saw what they did, they're using victims, and using victims and um, exploiting them in this way, I think is a special kind of um, unethical behavior. And I think what, you know, the Senate has an opportunity to do the right thing. They've, most of the senators, you know, have on gone on the record saying they're supporting this kind of effort to give a remedy for victims so they need to put their money where their mouth is and they need to pass it as standalone because you know the idea that you're going to get a bunch uh that the constitutional amendment passed with a bunch of other garbage you know it's just not it's stuff that, that's a massive affront to victims and, and what they've been through
0: and I, I i also saw this so dan lachlan did this uh, where he said, like, we're trying to pass this victim's rights legislation, but, um, you know, Democrats are holding it up. Because, again, as you mentioned, they added all this garbage. I mean, the and, first, version, yeah. that
2: first version, Jillian, the first version of SB1 had literal election audits. Like, yeah. how craven to compare, like, to put on the scales...
1: And not just election audits the ability for the legislature within 21 days to vacate any regulation any regulation all of them
3: yeah to tie this kind of thing to the destabilization of democratic systems like you know it is it couldn't be more exploitive of victims and you know let's remind remember victims are of all political persuasions survivors come from all political ideologies this is this is as apolitical an issue as it gets. Nobody is checking people's voter registration before they're abusing kids, right? The the, the bottom line is this is a, this is about decency. It's about you know it's about protecting kids, it's about knowing what institutions in the state of Pennsylvania are or have in the past permitted kids to be put at risk or abused. So you know, it, it really is very simple. Like to 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 attach that kind of anti democratic um, garbage to this issue is it, it's it's astonishing to me that they think that that is going to pass muster with you know those victims that have been fighting for this for years. And I think there will be consequences.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely there will be consequences. Um, so when this is law, right, Um, and I'm just going to say when, because I'm going to be hopeful, uh, when this is law, what, how does it impact survivors, so then what, what is a survivor who wants to pursue this able to do when this becomes law?
3: So um, thanks so much for that question, right, because again, when we come back to thinking about the survivor, it really helps us to realize that This is just another and a very important, but another of the many options survivors have. You know, when someone is victimized, um, one of the main things that happens is, you know, the loss of control, right? So Mm -hmm. child sexual abuse survivors deserve as many choices as we can give them for how they choose to seek Mm -hmm. justice and healing. What this does is for a big group of survivors who have, prior to this passage, whether it's the bill or the constitutional amendment that ultimately um, passes or both, it gives those that have been denied this option, this option. Does it mean every single one of them have to file a, a, a civil action? No, it just gives choice. And one of the best things you can do for any survivor is to talk with them about what choices they have. And so what this does is it opens an avenue for an option for accountability. It doesn't guarantee a result. It doesn't guarantee that this is a choice that that survivor will make, but it gives survivors whose claims were previously timed out a two-year window to file an action or seek redress and that i think for many survivors that in of itself is a, an incredible remedy to know they have the choice right i've had to sit across from too many survivors and explain to them that while what happened to them was terrible while you know i see that there is potential institutional accountability unfortunately the statute of limitations has passed, and therefore they don't have a legal remedy in civil law and that's a devastating thing to t- say to a survivor. Not every single survivor who has a claim pursues it because the next part of the conversation is, do you want to pursue your claim if you have one? So what should survivors do? If they're at all interested, they should seek counsel from a qualified, um, experienced attorney who does this type of work. And why do I say that? Um, when you pass the legal reform, you're going to have a lot of lawyers that like hang out their shingle and say, this is what we do. And one thing I always tell um, clients is do your homework. Do your homework on whether the attorneys that you are seeking counsel from to give you the advice. Do your homework on whether they know the area of law, whether they've worked effectively with survivors before, because working with survivors is a unique skill set. And it's very important that whatever lawyer a survivor finds themselves with, they feel comfortable with, they trust, and that that lawyer is doing everything they can to minimize the re-traumatization that comes with seeking legal redress. Because it is traumatic, right? To come in and tell your story and seek remedies in the court of law, or even in a mediation process or whatever might unfold, that has, you know, a lot of, um, that carries a lot of weight in a survivor's life. And so you want to make sure that The survivors that you know, if you're listening to this and you know someone who might be affected by this change, make sure that they're seeking counsel from a really experienced lawyer who knows how to work with individuals and respects the individuals that are seeking this kind of help. So good legal advice, lots of support, and then knowing that it's their choice. You know, I think the idea that if, for example, you have a family member that you know is affected by this, the idea that they quote should take action once this is passed, I, I always I always talk very strongly to anybody who calls me on behalf of another person and says, hey, my such and such friend, wife, partner, sister, you know, they they want they they should pursue a claim. And you know, the truth of the matter is there's only one person that should be making that decision, and that's that's the survivor themselves. And so what should survivors do? They should investigate whether their their particular claim um has passed. Statute limitations. If you're listening to this and you're not sure, call a lawyer who might be able to give you that advice and that very specific information. And then once this window passes, if you are someone who knows their claim was timed out and you would like to pursue an action, find a lawyer who really specializes in this work because this is not work for just any kind of lawyer. This is work for someone who understands how to work with victims' rights, with survivors, and who can do so with a great deal of respect. One thing to look for is what other kinds of cases do they do? they only do this or do they do, you know, accidents and um, do they do uh, malpractice? Do they do, do they represent perpetrators? You know, a lot of people who claim they represent victims um, also represent perpetrators. And so I, I always advise people to look really carefully at their lawyer um, and to figure out, you know, who they feel comfortable with and interview a few. I hope that helped Jillian.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's incredibly helpful. I think it's, you know, I feel like it's probably a daunting process for a lot of people you know i mean under any circumstances frankly it's a it's a somewhat frightening process to like have to get an attorney um but i you know certainly in these circumstances um in such a specialized situation um you know you really want to i think you're so so right you really want to do that homework and make sure that you get the right person
3: yeah. And I, you know, I would also say, you know, that two years is a long time, but it goes by fast. And so if yeah. this does pass, you know, uh, victims who know that this is an avenue that they feel is part of their um, healing journey or who feel this is the type of justice they want to seek, they should move fairly, fairly soon, as soon as they hear about passage so that they have time to um, pursue it in a way that it feels reasonable and calm to them. Um, you know, it, two years goes fast in the world of the law and and people's lives, too. Yeah. And victims have been waiting a really long time. So hopefully they won't have to wait much longer. I mean, we are still in the waiting game. This is not law yet. Um, I think we have a really good chance of seeing it happen here in Pennsylvania. I hope it does. Um, it, you know, Pennsylvanians, all Pennsylvanians deserve it because we all deserve to know uh, what has happened and what institutions have um harmed kids. And we all deserve um, to support. We all should be supporting the survivors who feel that this is part of their path. Um, It won't be everybody. Not everybody has to do this. But those that want to should have the
0: opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Well, so I think that that brings us to a natural close. Um, But I just thank you so much, Justine, because I think this is all really, really important information. Um, and, you know, it's a difficult subject. I think it's it's great for people to be able to understand what's going on. Um, and you're amazing at this and so incredibly thorough. And thank you. Just thank you so much for joining us again.
3: Well, I, I can't thank you enough for having me and for, you know, creating the space to have these conversations and um, wishing you all good luck. Thank
0: you. All right. Jillian. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Can, I, can
3: I
2: add a personal, just a, a small, small personal thing? Yeah. Uh you know, I, I really want, I really want to say, you know, hats off to Representative Rossi. Uh mm-hmm. seriously, like I I know that people had a lot of different feelings about everything that's happened, but like I have so much respect for his tenacity. <laughs> Yeah, you know, on behalf of fellow survivors. So, I mean, I just have, I, I have so much respect for that.
3: Yeah. And I want to um, second that. I want to say, you know, Representative Razi's you know, leadership has been invaluable. I mean, just, you know, the, the courage and the consistency and the sort of creating a rallying point that has been really important. And I also want to say there's a lot of survivors as well, behind the scenes and more publicly who have put themselves out there, who are talking to people about this and who have been active on this issue, you know, for decades now. Um, so, you know, there are organizations that have led the way. Um, Child USA is one of them. R.C. Hamilton has done a lot. Um, but many organizations, individuals, and survivors have fought for this. And as a survivor myself, what I can tell you is that, the, you know, there's a, a limited amount of bandwidth that you have, right? And you have to choose where to put your energy. And so for those who have chosen this as their fight and to be this close, to be this close to winning and to see it, you know, an attempt to harpoon it in this callous and politically motivated way, um, it, it, it it is unconscionable to do to those folks who have been fighting for this. And so I just, I look to, you know, the higher minds of those in the Senate to prevail as They look at how they're going to respond to this latest um, strategy to pass both the bill and the constitutional amendment. I think it's high time. I think that it is owed not just to the survivors in Pennsylvania who need this relief but to all of those who have fought so hard for this, and the legislators who have put it front and center as survivors themselves to tell their own stories so I think it's extremely important that um, we acknowledge that this has been a big push by a lot of people to make this happen and that to have it pulled out from under them for you know the most callous of political and craven, I think the word was used, of political uh, motivations at this stage is, is really unconscionable. So I'm really hoping that we start to see um, calmer heads prevail and we just get this done in Pennsylvania once and for all.
0: Amen to that, thank you. It's, uh, you know, the legislature can do amazing things i hope they do this amazing thing um well gang gang uh that is that's gonna bring um as i like personally to say this train in for a landing um <laughs> um so listen we have um A couple events or well we have one event um last time you may have heard us talking about um game a a feast of game uh i.e uh um you know wild animals that you might shoot and eat uh and i believe that that is happening in altoona there's a there's a thing called it the altoona horn thing katie put in the notes well, the Altoona I, horn thing hold on i i gotta go back and look this the, up the Altoona horn dinner or i don't know um
1: oh it's the Altoona grand hotel hosts horn fair for the second year and um <laughs> fans of let me just read some of this article fans of history art and animals are invited to attend a horn fair march 10th and 11th at the Altoona Grand Hotel. It, it's hosted by the honorable company of Horners, a guild dedicated to the historic craft work using repurposed animal horns. Um, and then it just like goes into all of the the stuff
0: of Wait, so if you're in a brass sheds. band, this is not for you. <laughs> no. are, are
2: these sheds? Are these sheds? Are these like shed horns? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to decide as someone who doesn't eat animals if i can like support this shout out or not because like i Uh, gave all shit on the on the the game thing last week and i just want to make sure because if these are sheds if this is like look at the chandelier i I don't know i don't know but if it's like look at these horns from these animals that we killed then like screw horn I'm going. I'm going to like. I, I want to go to the Horn Fest. That's like a whole bunch of like ska bands or something.
1: Qu- here's one quote that says that people. Fun. People say that horn work is addictive because once you try, <laughs> you say I should try it again and do this differently and do it better. And that was, that was a word salad. Um, that that's just. Um... Th- these are some
2: interesting folks here.
1: How about we um, say this?
2: If anyone goes to Hornfest, hit yeah. us up so that like we can we can report out on this. Uh, oh, oh, found a reference in the article going back to biblical theme. Oh.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes, um, there's no discussion of the meat or where the horns came from, but there will be hundreds of people from the East Coast who are Horners. And I really, really, really want to make so many dirty jokes right now. But I already said fake
0: dicks once just really makes me horny
2: (laughs) and with that i think i I think that's it
1: but the second thing to all of this is y'all if you are involved in your community yeah um please begging you um Get more involved. I went looking for events to lift up on this episode that were specifically led by like women or black, indigenous, and other people of color because that those are the kinds of events we like to lift up outside of like Democratic Party type stuff. Um, listen, I know it's petition time, but like y'all got to get out there and do some things celebrate Uh, like i saw like nothing for women's history month like
0: what's going on out there people (laughs) build some community so yes tell us about your events um it it is we're coming to the close of petitions so we won't have that to harp on anymore um and in the meantime if you want uh to continue to support this pod you can jump on our patreon or, you know, $5 a month or whatever, uh, be in our Discord, have fun chats with us all the time, um, and yell with us much of the time. Uh, <laughs> so that and that you can find that at patreon.com slash the night caucus. Uh, and so with that, finally, um, many, many thanks to Justine Andronisi and my amazing uh, co-witch sisters, Katie and Angela. And Katie's laughing at me because I i don't make words good go now today. Uh, as always, our mysterious and delightful producer, Dr. Ack, who's got our work cut out for us on this one. Um, and, and you, thank you all. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Night Caucus. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Pods, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your pods. And, you know, come join us uh, in our community by becoming a Patreon supporter. And register, get get your mail-in ballot.